Hey, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Plainfield Christian Church. My name is Riley Weaver. I serve here as the Global and Local Impact Minister. Steve is on vacation today, and Luke is leading a mission trip, so you're stuck with me. I apologize. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll hand you that money later. This summer, we've been preaching through the biblical book of Exodus, and I love this book. It's one of my favorite books. I mean, I probably got a lot of favorite books in the Bible, but I really like this one. And one of the reasons I love this book is because it's so practical, and that's because the story of Exodus is our story. Exodus is the story of an enslaved people, people that need to be freed. And while it's unlikely that anyone in this room needs to be freed from physical slavery, we all need to be freed from something. We need to be freed from our sin, freed from our past, freed from our mistakes. We need to be freed from evil systems and evil people. And that's exactly what God does for his people in Exodus. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but God rescued them. So the book of Exodus is filled with stories of miracles where God uses his power to free his people and to give them a better life, the life that he promised them. Today we're going to take a look at Exodus chapter 32, but I want to say two things before we dive in. First, I want to warn you, the book of Exodus is our story, the good parts and the bad parts. So in chapter 32, Exodus takes a turn. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I want you to know the background of the story. Moses had climbed Mount Sinai to be with God. And there he received the law. That's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. But he was gone for 40 days when that happened. The people didn't know where he was. They didn't know if he was alive or dead. So they started to worry because they didn't have their leader. And that brings us to Exodus 32, verse 1. You can open your Bibles to Exodus 32, or the words are up on the screen here, whatever you prefer. Verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What would you do if I walked up and down the aisles and asked asked you to give me your gold jewelry? I actually thought about doing that this morning. Uh, I didn't think it would be received very well. (laughs) But seriously, if I walked up and down the aisle and said, man, those are some beautiful earrings. Sir, that is a nice watch. Can I have that? The church needs it. We're going to make a golden statue of Steve White. We need that. We need that. Steve's not here today. I can say that. No, if I did that, you'd think I was crazy. Some of you would probably never come back here again, and I wouldn't be allowed to preach again. But that's exactly what we see in this story. The people give Aaron their most valuable possessions so that he can make them an idol. The Israelites had seen God move in amazing ways, but they still disobeyed him. Why would they do that? I think it's because they were afraid. The Israelites were stuck in the middle of the desert and Moses, the man who led them and communicated with God on their behalf was missing. They didn't know what to do. They should have known that God was gonna take care of them. They'd seen God do great things, but they were impatient. 
They didn't trust God to provide. They didn't trust his timing. So they took matters into their own hands and created another God. And I think it's crazy that they give the calf the credit for bringing them out of Egypt. Let's continue reading in verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Steve preached about the Ten Commandments a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember the first two commandments, but the first commandment says, You shall have no other gods before me. That's a pretty straightforward command. And in the second, God said, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Moses had only been gone for 40 days. God had done so much for the Israelites, but it only took them 40 days to turn their backs on him and break the first two commandments. Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have become quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. You'll notice that God said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Well, whose people were the Israelites? God's. Who brought them up out of Egypt? God did. Moses didn't. But God was so angry with the Israelites that he wanted to disassociate himself from them. Those aren't my people. They don't do what I say. He was so angry that he wanted to destroy them. So why did God want to destroy his own people? Before Moses climbed Mount Sinai, the Israelites entered into a covenant relationship with God, kind of like a contract. God agreed to provide for the Israelites as their God, but the Israelites agreed to obey him as his people. And the Israelites broke that contract when they worshiped the golden calf. They spoiled their special relationship with God. Imagine you get married, and then your spouse cheats on you on your honeymoon essentially what the Israelites did to God. I want you to know today that God wants to have a relationship with you too. He is jealous for you. He wants to be the top priority in your life. But when we sin and we worship idols, we are missing out on that amazing opportunity. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. There are consequences for our sin. 
That's not a popular thing to say in some circles, but it's something we have to be real about. I feel like I'd be a dis- doing a disservice to you if I didn't say that. Our sin separates us from God, but there is hope. God is faithful and he keeps his promises just like Moses said. When we turn our backs on God like the Israelites, he does not turn his back on us. And that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces on the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. I don't know if you've ever gone to an expensive restaurant and eaten something that you didn't really like. That's kind of what this golden water cocktail reminds me of. It was really expensive, but it was really gross too. Moses destroyed the golden calf and made the Israelites drink it. And he may have done that to punish them. I'm sure that was not a pleasant experience. But more than likely, he did it so that the calf could never come back. That gold could never be used to build another idol again. We're going to talk more about overcoming idolatry in our lives later, but I do want to park right here and say one thing real fast. Sometimes we have to destroy our idols. So if you have something in your life that's keeping you from giving all of yourself to God, then you need to get rid of it and make sure that it can never come back. Verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil? They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) Yeah, we've gotten to laugh in every service about that. And that's seriously, it's one of the lamest excuses I've ever heard. I just put the gold in the fire, and out came this calf. I don't know what happened. Sometimes it's hard to own up to our mistakes. Sometimes we blame others for our mistakes, just like Aaron but we need to take responsibility for them. I do believe that there are people and systems in this world that set some of us up for failure. But at the end of the day, we're responsible for our decisions because we will ultimately be the ones that are accountable to God. Verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. The Levites were the priestly class. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one into the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your sons and your brothers, and he has blessed you this day. 
I'm going to be really transparent about something. <laughs> it might be weird for a pastor to say, but do you ever read the Bible and think, Ooh, wish that wasn't in there? I mean, I have, and that's kind of what I thought when I read that part of this story this week. I struggled with why God would tell the Levites to kill those people. And, you know, here, here's the answer that I came up with. Obviously, God takes idolatry seriously. He is jealous for us. And he wants a relationship with us. So he doesn't want anything to compete with him. So why did God order the Levites to kill the Israelites? Well, the sin of the people that worshiped the golden calf could have corrupted the rest of that camp. If some of those people were allowed to live and persist in their sin, later on they could have said, hey, you remember that golden calf? That was a fun day. We should do that again. God was protecting the rest of the camp from temptation by wiping out those idolaters. And sometimes we also have to separate ourselves from people who corrupt us. So if you've got a person in your life who's constantly leading you to idolatry, you may need to consider separating yourself from that person. Let's finish the story. Verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Sounds kind of like Jesus to me. Verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the golden calf Aaron had made. There's a lot going on in that story, a lot of details. So I want to take some time to boil that down. What does this story teach us? What does God want us to obey? The story of Exodus is our story, all of it, the good parts and the bad parts. So we've got to remember that God can use his power to free us from anything that enslaves us. But we also need to remember that we have a tendency to sin. We turn our backs on God and worship idols just like the Israelites. So we've got to learn from their mistakes. I want to talk a little bit about idolatry for a while. I think idolatry is kind of a hard concept for some of us to understand. Part of that's because it's not really a concept that's talked much about outside of church. I think part of it, too, is in our culture, um, literal idolatry is not really practiced. You know, I'm not sure there's anybody in this room that's ever bowed down and worshipped a statue. So I want to tell you a story. We took a mission trip to Ghana in May. It was fantastic. Our team helped build a medical clinic in southern Ghana. I think we got a picture of the team up here. We had a great time. Uh, real quick, I want to uh, make a shameless plug for mission trips. <laughs> you should consider going on one of our global impact trips next year. We're going to publish all of our trips at the end of the summer. Right now, we're scheduled to go to Mexico, Austria, and the Navajo Nation in Arizona. And we're working on a few more. If you go on one of these trips, I'm confident that you'll grow in Christ, make new friends, and get an amazing opportunity to serve needy people around the world. Shameless plug over. So anyway, the church supports quite a bit of work in West Africa, specifically Ghana. So every time I go to Ghana on a mission trip, I can't just visit one group of people. I got to visit all of them. 
So after this trip, I traveled north to Burkina Faso with Austin Gagno. Austin's another one of our missionaries. And we checked out some new church plants up in Burkina Faso. And there I got to meet the chief of a village. The village is called Guinan. There's a picture of the chief. Uh, he's the one in the big red hat, because obviously if you're a chief, you wear a cool red hat like that. <laughs> uh, I'm not smiling because I'm very nervous in that picture. <laughs> First time I'd ever met a chief. <laughs> Austin is to my right wearing the uh, yellow and green shirt. And then pastors Philip and James are sitting next to the chief as well. Before I tell you about the chief, I do want to ask you to pray for him. I want you to pray that he'll become a Christian. God is doing some really cool things in his life and in his village, things that unfortunately I don't have time to tell you about right now, so just please pray for him. I know that Austin would really appreciate that. I want to tell you a little bit about the chief's religion. He follows African traditional religions. So in his possession, he has household idols. These are little figurines that are passed down from generation to generation, and he worships those. Under his throne, uh, where he's sitting in that picture, they also buried a leopard because in his culture, they believe that powerful animals have spiritual power. Outside of his house, there's also a large dirt mound. And every time a baby is born in the village of Guinan, they take the afterbirth, they put it in a clay pot, and then they break the clay pot on that mound. So all the generations that have been born in that village are represented in that mound. They believe that that gives the chief the power of his ancestors, but it also gives him power to control the people that are alive in his village. And that may be a very foreign idea to you, but people practice things like that all over the world. And it's not because they're less intelligent. I mean, I've met people in places like that that are way smarter than I am. So... Why did they do that? Well, I mean, obviously they don't know Jesus, but they need protection. They do it because they need protection. The chief lives in Burkina Faso, and I really enjoyed my time in Burkina. All the people I met there were very welcoming. But Burkina Faso is an unstable place. Maybe you've read about it in the news recently. The government there is not strong enough to protect its own people. There's very little industry in a lot of the country, so there's not great jobs. Most of the people there rely on farming, maybe just subsistence farming for their families. But a lot of Burkina Faso is a desert. If the rains don't come, then those people aren't able to eat. It's a hard life. They have no safety net. So the chief, like many people around the world, relies on his idols to protect him and provide for him. He believes that they have that power. And I think that teaches us the heart behind idolatry. We worship our protectors. We worship our protectors. The chief worships his idols because they protect him. But we worship other things because they protect us. This week we celebrated the 4th of July. I really like the 4th of July. It's probably my favorite holiday just because it's so much more chill than Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I also really love the United States. We live in a country that's blessed many of us. And I'm thankful for that. I really am. But we've got to be careful that those blessings don't distract us from what's really important. In our culture, we don't worship literal idols because we have so many other things that provide us with protection. So many other safety nets. Our jobs protect us by providing us with money. Our possessions like nice cars and homes protect our reputations. 
Spouses protect us from loneliness. Technology prolongs our lives. Hobbies protect us from boredom and silence. Our government protects us. But we need to remember that in all things, God is our ultimate protector. I think that the church can also be an idol. And the reason I think that is because I think church has been an idol in my life before. There have been times in my life where I've been so concerned with church things that I've not given God the time that he deserves. So if you're a church person, you've got to be careful too. Don't be distracted. Church participation can never replace a real relationship with God. So how do we combat idolatry in our culture? What are some practical steps that we can take? Well, my encouragement to you today is to live like God is your only option. Imagine you have no safety net. You don't have a good job. You don't have nice things. You don't have great people around you. God is your only option. What would it be like to live like that? What would it be like to put our trust in God to that level? We need to understand and live like God is the only one that can really protect and provide for us. And we need to be careful. The Israelites experienced God's power through all of his miracles in Exodus. But it still only took them 40 days to fall away and worship idols. So my question for you is, what are you afraid of? What are you at risk of putting your hope in? What can protect you from that fear? Because that very well could be your idol. How can you trust God to protect and provide for you? How can you live a life like God is your only option? God is the only one that can ultimately sustain you. There are other things that can protect you and provide for you, but God is the only one that can ultimately sustain you. And there are some things that only God can take care of. I've been reminded of God's power in the last few weeks. Some of you may know Ryan and Sarah Hardy. They're some of our missionaries in Papua New Guinea. We interviewed them on stage here in March. You may remember them from that. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I got a text from Sarah in the middle of the night saying, hey, Ryan's been taken to the hospital. He's got a really high fever. He's in so much pain. He feels like he's going to die. Please pray. So Kayla and I, we woke up early. We started praying. A couple hours later, we got a text saying, Ryan has a really high fever. They think he has meningitis. If he's not turned the corner by morning, then they've got to medically evacuate him to Australia. He was in a hospital there, but you know, a hospital in Papua New Guinea, they didn't have all the things they needed to treat him. Gave him antibiotics, but that was about all they could do. Well, Kayla and I were praying. I know they had supporters around the country who were praying. Maybe some of you were praying if you heard about it through their Facebook. Our staff stopped that morning and we prayed for them during staff meeting. And later that day, I got a text from Sarah that Ryan's fever was gone. It's crazy. Yeah, we can clap for that. The next day, Ryan went home and started his journey to recovery. He's still recovering a little weak, but I mean, we're definitely praising God for what he did in his life. Because God, in that situation, God was really our only option. (laughs) So live like God is your only option. Why would we worship idols when God has the power to give us everything we need? Let's pray. 
Father God, I'm so thankful for everything you've done. I'm thankful that you brought us all here today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to all of us in a way that we can understand. Lord, convict us. And I pray that you would help us to destroy the idols in your life, in our lives. Help us to totally put our trust in you. Help us to believe in your power, Lord. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It's in his powerful name that I pray.